You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton, Dylan Terriman, and Alex Varallo. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Jet Nation Radio. This is going to be a good one, folks. Uh, Jets pulled out a win this past Sunday, which is amazing news. Uh, a little bit unexpected. I'm also joined with my co-host, Dylan Terriman. How are we doing tonight, Dylan? I'm doing great. I mean, just like Joe Douglas said in his press conference a few hours earlier, peaks and valleys. And right now we're in a peak, and let's hope we can keep it going on a short week. Absolutely. I mean, we don't get too many of these wins, so we got to relish in it. We got to, you know, live in the moment. And, uh, yeah, Jets can do no wrong until their their next game, which comes up this early this week on next Thursday. So, uh, you know, we'll be uh, talking about uh, this past week's performance. We're going to talk a little bit um, at the end of the show about Thursday night football. And um, majority of tonight's show, we're going to be – you know, talking about some transaction news. We're going to get into some injury stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some new acquisitions the Jets have made to the front office uh, and, and much, much more. Uh, but, yeah, so today was the trade deadline, and there wasn't too much activity. I mean, there were some certain players that had been talked about or rumored, uh, like Jameson Crowder, uh, I believe uh, some people were talking about, you know, trading like C.J. Mosley, I thought I saw, you know, last week to get out of that contract. Um, you know, and some people were even entertaining like trading a Morgan Moses um, as if we don't have enough problems on the offensive line, but the guys that they have in-house. Uh, but they did make a move today, and we made a trade for an offensive lineman. Dylan, why don't you go ahead and let the listeners know uh, what moves the Jets made today? Sure, yeah. So the Jets sent away their third-string tight end in Daniel Brown to the Kansas City Chiefs in return for offensive lineman Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, who was actually a COVID uh, opt-out back in 2020, and he's a native of Canada, and he's a doctor, so his purpose when he opted out was to help on the front lines uh, combat the COVID-19 virus. So that was really cool to see. And then he came back this year and broke his hand in August. So the Chiefs never uh, activated him onto their roster until last night. He ended up not playing. He actually had a no trade clause that he had to waive in order to come to New York. So that's always nice to see when players really feel like they have a say in where their next destination is and they choose the Jets of all teams, right? But and then you look on Twitter, and a lot of people are saying that he might replace Greg Van Roten. And while it's possible, I think at a minimum he's going to have to start as the, the backup or the swing guard for a week or two, see what he can do. And obviously we know Greg Van Roten hasn't looked great this season, so replacing him has been, you know, the key going into the off season at, at least. But, you know, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif is not the most durable player to replace Greg, Greg Van Roten with, who – 
has played 100% of snaps in all seven games this year and in 12 of the 13 games last year before going on IR. So it's definitely a move that was necessary to beef up the the depth on offensive line because you definitely want to see someone like Duvernay Tardif come in over a Dan Feeney per se. So it's definitely a nice addition. I wouldn't go as far to say that he should start right away, but, you know, with the struggles GVR is having, I could see, you know, Duvernay Tardif getting some action pretty quickly on this team. So overall, it's a great trade for a third string tight end who's played 12 snaps on the year. And, you know, we keep stressing, get out of these 21 and 12 personnel packages. So this is just a step in the right direction to do it. So good trade as far as I'm concerned. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest with you, it was a little bit of a head scratcher why we um, held on to Brown. Um, I understand, you know, the Jets were looking to move, move on from Chris Herndon. Uh, you know, we got a little bit of trade compensation for that. So we'll see what that turns out to into the future. Uh, but yeah, who, who knows? I mean, the Jets are a little thin at tight end at the moment. Um, so it is a little bit of a gamble, but, you know, maybe this means, you know, Kenya Bo might be moving up. But uh, that wasn't the only move that the Jets have made. They've also made another addition to their coaching staff. Uh, Dylan, uh, why don't you break that down real quick? Yeah, they hired a I, – I would assume he is, his title with the Jets would be a quarterback's coach, but they hired John Beck, who is Zach Wilson's personal coach. He worked with him throughout the pre-draft process and was pretty lockstep with the Jets in terms of their evaluation of Zach and getting him to the place where they wanted him to be for their offense. So they, they bring him on for the remainder of the season. It looks like he's going to assume part of the role that Greg Knapp was supposed to fill along with uh, Matt Cavanaugh. So you have now two kind of replacing one in a sense. And I think it goes to show, one, the importance of Greg Knapp and what he was supposed to mean to this team because it seems like they've been struggling to replace him ever since, you know, the tragic accident that happened. And two, it also takes some pressure off Michael Fleur, because as we saw last week, he went up to the coach's booth to call the games. He was able to see an all 22 view of the game, kind of, you know, really get a grasp of the offense and stay a step ahead. So I think it takes some pressure off him and now he can stay up there. Zach has somebody that he's familiar with on the sidelines. And now the offense is, hopefully going to look a little bit better, but at the same time, you're doubling down on getting Zach Wilson to where he needs to be, where he can put up Mike White kind of numbers, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm actually really excited to, you know, hear about this because we just have a history of, you know, doing a disservice to our young quarterbacks and, and not developing them properly and, you know, again, you know, our hearts go out to the Knapp family with that tragedy. You know, that's something that, um, even though maybe some yeah. people have forgotten about, you know, we at Jet Nation, we still, you know, recognize, you know, that incident. And, you know, now uh, the Jets are starting to, you know, move in, in a direction that should be more positive for Zach Wilson in the future. And and we'll we'll talk about that, um, you know, later on in the show, uh, because some people seem to think that now we have a little bit of quarterback controversy in New York. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe we'll just call it healthy competition. But before we get into that, you know, the, the nitty gritties of all that stuff, I'm, I'm going to break down some injury news that I pulled off the Internet today. Um, kind of went around. Jets are very, very uh, – they keep a tight ship uh, on, you know, what they release out to the media. And today, Robert Sal even said, you know, not much has changed with the injury report. We'll, you know, give more news as we get, you know, further down the week. 
so I'll start with the Colts here. Uh, four players have mentioned. Um, one big one, T.Y. Hilton. Um, he's in concussion protocol. Uh, looks like he's not expected to play this Thursday. So Jeff get lucky again with uh, one of the top wide receivers not being available. Uh, Bo Pete Keys, a cornerback, he's had a hamstring injury. He didn't practice today. Uh, Kari Willis, one of their safeties, uh, did not practice. He's also looking like he's not going to be able to go on Thursday. And then lastly was a big name, Quentin Wilson, um, Nelson, rather. Um, he's the pro, all-pro guard, you know, one of the best offensive linemen in the league. He's been dealing with a toe issue. Um, this is something he's been dealing with for, for a while, um, from what I read, and uh, they don't think that it's going to be a concern. So it looks like um, Nelson will be playing Thursday night. Uh, so that's for the Colts. For the Jets side, um, Tevin Coleman's still dealing with a hamstring. Um, he didn't practice. Actually, all these players did not practice. And I'm going to mention Corey Davis, George Fant. That's a big one. Um, he's dealing with an ankle injury. Bryce Huff is dealing with a back injury. Trayvon Wesco is dealing with a knee. And obviously, Zach Wilson is also dealing with a knee, and he's a couple weeks away uh, before he'll start practicing again. So, uh, again, you know, not too much has been added to the injury report. Uh, you know, right now, I would say the biggest concern um, to go from, like, a day-to-day basis here would probably be George Fant. Um, Jets are starting to get a little thin at tackle. I was listening to the Robert conference, and it looks like Mackay Becton is a few weeks away before he's even able to practice. So we might be looking at a possible Chuma Doga, Morgan Moses, uh, you know, as far as our tackles. Um, not sure how this is going to pan out for Thursday. Um, a little alarming, I'm not going to lie. Um, that's my first reaction to the George Fant news. Um, you know, they were able to get through the game and come through the W and get the, the win on Sunday. Uh, but, you know, George Fant um, quietly has been doing a decent job. You know, more of our problems on the offensive line, I feel, is on the interior side. Uh, but, you know, losing him, obviously not a good thing. Um, hopefully he's able to bounce back and, and play this Thursday. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the George Fant situation? Does this concern you, Dylan, or do you have faith in Chuma Adoga? Or, you know, are the Jets, uh, you know, clearly uh, in a predicament here? I, I, th- I definitely think it's a predicament. I think Chuma Doga held up fairly well for the 53 snaps that he came in in relief of George Fant for. Um, I would, I, I'm surprised or intrigued to see how they'll deploy the tackles. Maybe they might move Morgan Moses over to left tackle. He has some experience over there, just being that he is the veteran over Edoga. But if Edoga is your left tackle going into the game, you you definitely have to worry about you know, putting an extra guy on that side to, to chip and block, you know, the edge, the edge a rusher coming off the edge, which I believe would be Quiddy Pay. So, I mean, it, it's a tough situation because Idoga has not looked good over his course of the career with the Jets. So to rely on him at left tackle is kind of tough. And with Mekhi Becton being weeks away, you don't know exactly how many weeks. Maybe they do and they just don't want to tell us. But for right now, it seems like it's going to be after Thanksgiving. So if he has to be, God forbid, George Fant misses more than a game or two, I don't think you want to have to rely on Edoga long term. So, yeah, I think it's borderline a predicament at the tackle situation, and I'm a little nervous for Mike White on, on Thursday if Edoga is his blindside blocker. Yeah, especially being in a short week, 
Um, our quarterback situation uh, is a little bit uh, crazy right now. Um, definitely did not expect Mike White to do the things that he did last Sunday. And, you know, now they seem to have a little bit of momentum, but a big piece of the puzzle, you know, when you hear about injuries to the offensive line, sometimes you get by with the interior guys, but the guys on the outside that are up against the, you know, elite pass rushers, uh, those guys really, really have a tough, tough job. You really have to be quick and nimble uh, and have a lot of tools in your shed to deal with, you know, some of these guys that are just prolific pass rushers. So, uh, definitely a little bit of concern, um, you know, moving forward with the offensive line. It seems to be a theme uh, going on with the Jets for many of years. But, you know, they've, they've gotten through these things in the past, and, and hopefully Chuma Doga is, is ready to take on and step up um, in the event that he does get the nod for the start on Thursday. So something to keep, um, you know, our eyes and ears on, um, you know, as we get closer to Thursday's game. But uh, before we start talking about that, let's get into uh, this Jets win that they had on Sunday. Now, I was not very optimistic uh, last week when I gave my prediction. Um, I thought that the Jets did not have uh, the, you know, firepower to to handle all the talent of uh, an explosiveness that is in the Cincinnati Bengals. But they, they did a very, very uh, – good job as far as keeping keeping certain players contained. Um, you know, that was one thing that, that really, really stood out for me. Uh, a couple players in specific I was expecting to have really good games against us, and they were fairly moderate at best. Uh, so, you know, pleasantly surprised. Uh, I'm still not overall optimistic with, you know, how the Jets' record is going to be at the end of the year. Uh, but, you know, at the moment – uh, I'm, I'm as happy as, as can be because, you know, anytime the Jets can pull a win, uh, you know, that, that's not only good for the fans, it's good for the team, it's good for them trying to develop and, and build something here. Uh, so, you know, what are your um, overall thoughts on the Cincinnati game, Dylan? Yeah, I, I too woke up and thought, well, I guess the Jets are going to lose at 1 o'clock today. And, you know, sat there and watched the game and, we get the ball first, which surprised me. They didn't defer like Rob Sala has talked about all year, saying it's nice to lap the team at halftime to try to score at the end of the first half, get the ball to start the second. So it was weird to see them win the toss and not defer. They took the ball, and what did they do? They went right down the field and scored a touchdown. It was a pretty solid drive. I believe Mike White went seven for seven, and they rushed it in from eight yards with Michael Carter, and it kind of just took all the weight off the team as far as never scoring in the first quarter, you know, always those slow starts. But then the slow start came in and they had, you know, the two deflected interceptions, Amendola missed a field goal. They punted and then Crowder fumbled. They didn't flinch though. Mike White doesn't flinch apparently. And they come back after half and just score five straight times to end the game. And really Mm -hmm. I thought it was a complete offensive takeover in a sense because you saw what LaFleur has been trying to do all year. Now I know they have done things differently with Zach Wilson. I think they might trust Zach Wilson a little bit too much with this offense right now and they don't try to get him in situations where he can open up the offense like those wide receiver trick plays that they were running. So I would like to see them do that when Zach Wilson's healthy as well. But I think hitting the checkdowns was the biggest thing 
that was the difference maker in the game. Michael Carter had 95 receiving yards. Ty Johnson had 71. And that that's all from checkdowns. That's all from smart football, going through your reads, making sure what you have is there. And Peyton Manning actually said it on the broadcast last night during the Chiefs-Giants game. Uh, it was an old quote from a Vikings coach. It's, can't go can't go broke taking a profit, which means just hit your checkdowns, get positive yardage, and you make less mistakes. And that's exactly what we saw this offense was based upon, taking the check down, not stretching the ball deep. He didn't do it too much. There was a couple plays, but he got he also got everybody involved. Elijah Moore was involved. Denzel Mims was involved. Braxton Berrios caught a touchdown. The tight ends weren't involved too much, but when they were, they were effective. Tyler Croft had the touchdown. And then the running backs just came out and, I don't know, Ty Johnson, who's been, you know, kind of a, a disappearing act all year, mm-hmm. just came out and, and busted on the scene. So, overall, offensively, this is this what you wanted to see out of the offense. And then on defense, I mean, goal line stands. I know they didn't stop them both times, but C.J. Mosley had a great tackle at the one-yard line on Joe Mixon. They ended up scoring on it, but then they had the goal line stand set up by, you know, after the pick. And that, you know, the defense just came out and played with their hair on fire. I think props to the to the Jets faithful that showed up to that game that probably wasn't expecting a win either. And they came out and they cheered and the defense got behind them. Jabari Zuniga had a sack. When the heck has Jabari mm-hmm. Zuniga done anything? So to see him have a sack is just amazing. And then Bryce Hall and Brandon Eccles. Jamar Chase only had 32 yards. Sure, he had a touchdown but he had 32 yards on mm-hmm. three catches. This guy has been lighting yep. up the scoreboard against every single team. Brandon Eccles and Bryce Hall, a fifth and sixth round corner, were able to hold them to 32 yards. So I think it says a lot about this team. They weren't going to hide with their tail between their legs after getting blown out by New England. And that's the last time I'm ever going to talk about New England. And they came back and they looked like a team. They beat the hottest team in the AFC and now they're going into a game where <clears throat> they might be underdogs on the road, but it's a very winnable game. And the Jets could find themselves on a nice little win streak here. So overall, obviously the best game they've played all year, but the, mm-hmm. the X's and O's of it was the best game they've played all year too. And I think that's the best part about it. Yeah. You know, I, I wrote down a couple notes here, like, you know, takeaways, downfalls and improvements, uh, you know, one of the takeaways that impressed me, and it was the first of the season, uh, for those of you that may have heard from the broadcast, you know, Shaq Lawson, one of our defensive linemen, getting an interception. Um, is it a good thing that our first interception came week eight? Um, absolutely not. But that was one of the things that I talked about last week, that if the Jets can find a way to get ahead and, and score early, specifically score in the first quarter, something that you mentioned, um, they haven't done that all year. So that was a big change. Um, I like the fact that we were making, or Mike White was making very quick decisions, hitting his check down, getting the ball out quickly. Um, You know, it was very, very Tom Brady-esque to where you don't have to make every single play, um, you know, a touchdown or a 20 or 30-yard pass. The chain's moving. Keep the defense guessing and keep them on their back heels. And I think that's exactly what they did in those first few series was be aggressive and get the ball out quickly, get guys open, get them in space, and let them make a play. Um, I, I very much like the play calling. 
that, you know, LaFleur created for Mike White. I don't know if he made a lot of adjustments. Um, maybe less is more. I'm not really sure how that all worked out, but I liked the way that they called the game. I liked how they distributed the football. Um, you mentioned our young running backs and Ty Johnson and Michael Carter. Both of those guys stood out to me. You know, uh, between the two of them, uh, they had uh, 14 receptions. Uh, Michael Carter ends up with nine receptions for 95 yards. Ty Johnson has five for 71 and a touchdown. Um, Carter also put 77 uh, rushing yards with that early, that first quarter score, like you had mentioned. So really, really great to see that we're finally incorporating our running backs, getting them involved in the passing game. This is something that we've talked about uh, on this radio show for the last couple of years is getting the running backs involved in the passing game. Um, you know, it's so key to have those guys that are able to break tackles and make guys miss you know, do more than just try to, you know, run in between the tackles. Uh, the Jets' offense has stunk, but, you know, they made big improvements this week. You know, out of the 78 plays of offense that they ran, they ended up with 32 first downs. Uh, you know, as far as being effective with the offense, we punted the ball once the entire game. That is remarkable to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, in the second half, you know, we were money in the bank nearly every series that we had. Um, and that's the way, that's how you win football games. That's how you, you, you have to go about this at this game every single week. You have to be aggressive. You have to know who to get the ball to, how quickly you need to get the ball out. And if you have a hot hand, you need to ride it. So I'm very, very pleased with the way that the offense, um, you know, controlled themselves. We've been very, very critical on the offensive line. They allowed two sacks this week. That is definitely improvement, and that's something that they really, really needed to show, especially after the beatdown that they had the week prior to wake up. Unfortunately, the Jets had to get their rear end spanked to wake up and, and, and play the game the way it's supposed to be played. Um, so I'm very happy that these guys were able to turn these things around. I'm going to go over to the defensive side real quick. You know, Mosley, who was questionable, we weren't sure if he was going to play. I'll be honest, he didn't look like somebody who was playing injured uh, last week. You know, he led the team with eight tackles. He made that big goal line stop that you mentioned. Um, you know, there was a Jabari Zuniga sighting, ends up with a, a forced fumble and a sack. When I heard that, I did a double take when I looked at the TV. I said, did they just say Jabari Zuniga? I mean, I really thought that ship had yep. sailed. So I'm glad, you know, and I hope that he ends up being a contributor because being a third-round pick, that is pretty much a premium pick and you need, you know, teams that end up competing in the playoffs and going on the Super Bowl runs, you hit in that third round and that fourth round. That's what builds championship teams. Now, I'm not saying that's what's going on here, mm-hmm. but it's good to know that one of our third round investments are starting to, you know, show a little something. And even though it was just one play, you know, we'll take as many sacks as we can get. Jets ended up with three of them including Sheldon Rankins and Quinn and Williams. Quinn and Williams' play was so beautiful. I mean, the, that, that, uh, I think it was the fourth down stop. Um, he blew yep. that play up, too. That's exactly what we need um, Quinn and Williams to do when he's, mm-hmm. you know, in those situations, when you talk about guys that we are counting on, 
Quinn Williams is one of those players that we need to count on in those big situations to make a play, and that's exactly what he did. So, um, you know, I have no complaints as far as what they did. You know, Joe Mixon has been a uh, an extremely effective running back, um, not only throughout his career, but this year as well. Um, to hold him to only uh, 33 yards, um, you know, and this is a guy that, you know, averages probably 70 to 80 yards a game, you know, if not more. Um, and he's a very, very focal point to the Bengals offense that just did a phenomenal job to keep him in check. Um, that is definitely as part of, you know, when you're putting your game plan together, what do we got to do to beat the Bengals? Containing uh, Jamar Chase, shutting down Joe Mixon, you know, those were definitely key factors that led the Jets to this victory. Um, and again, you know, I tip my cap to LaFleur and Mike and Robert Sala to figure out a way to get the job done. Um, you know, even with all odds against them with Mike White. And I think that, you know, we should probably, you know, take a few minutes here to talk about his play and his performance. Uh, he was, I just had it right in front of me, 37 for 45. I think he started off the game with like 11 complete, 11 for 11 before those those couple turnovers came in. Um, it was like he was unconscious, just completing every single pass. It, it was just a thing <laughs> of beauty. He ends up the day with 400 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks that were based off of uh, tip drills. Um, you know, I don't know how people feel about, you know, tip passes. They still count against the quarterback. But other than those two interceptions, um, I have to say, looking at what Mike White was doing and looking what our previous quarterback, Zach Wilson, was doing, that was night and day. Um, so I'll throw the ball to your court. I've had the, the mic for, for a little while here. What were your thoughts about Mike White's performance? Yeah, I I was expecting, you know, a mediocre game where he had, you know, maybe a touchdown late, couple interceptions. I absolutely didn't anticipate him going out and doing something that I've never seen a Jets quarterback do in my entire life. So I had to go back and <clears throat> find that 400-yard performance that Vinny Testaverde put out in 2000, and it was 481 yards. But he threw it 69 times and only completed 52.2% of his passes. Mike White completed 82.2% of his passes. So you, when you combine that completion percentage with 405 yards, this is a literal historic performance for a Jets quarterback. And it, it was honestly a sight to see. And like you said, it was kind of Tom Brady-esque. I'm not going to throw him in the goat pen, you know, just yet. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's Mike F. and White, and he did his yeah. thing. He, he really – he balled out. There's nothing else you can say. He took advantage of his opportunity. And I'm not going to go out there and say there's a quarterback controversy, but if he comes out and plays like this on Thursday night, it definitely opens a door for like, okay, maybe we should let Zach Wilson learn a little bit from this guy and see how the offense functions and get two or three games of all 22 film out there to really – get Zach involved and have him understand what he's supposed to do from the quarterback perspective. Because like you said, it's, it's been a lot of deep throws and high risk, high reward passes with, with Zach Wilson so far. And Mike Wilson played that board or Mike White, excuse me, played that, that boring game where he came out 12 for 12 or 11 or for 11, just 
throwing little dink and dunk passes, but letting the receivers get yards after the catch, turning five into 15 instead of hoping for 30 all at once. So like I said earlier, this is what the offense is supposed to look like. I'm not going to get too down on Zach Wilson. I was, you know, in the moment, I was a little down on Zach Wilson during the game, but that's just because I was so surprised at what Mike White was doing that if Mike White could do this, why can't Zach Wilson do this? And I think we'll see it eventually mm-hmm. from from Zach, but you have to tip your cap to Mike White, and hopefully he can, you know, take a deep breath, calm himself, get ready for Thursday. It's a stronger defense, in my opinion. You have DeForest Buckner coming right. at you up the center, so you get really got to watch out for McGovern and uh, Van Roten. But all around, this is a historic performance for Mike White, and I couldn't be happier. Yeah, you know, especially, you know, the road that he's been through and, you know, being on Dallas and then kind of being let go and then being picked up by the Jets and let go and then being picked up and going to the practice squad and being put on the active roster. I think they said nine to 11 times he's been on and off our roster. So this is somebody that has had, you know, a roller coaster career. Um, He hasn't had many opportunities. And he, he knocks one out the park in his first opportunity. Like you said, we're not, you know, going to, you know, put up a billboard or a shrine or, you know, get the get the yellow jacket out for him. But uh, it, it's nice to see somebody taking an opportunity, seizing it, and performing at a very high level. Uh, you know, and now we'll kind of go into what I talked about earlier uh, with the, uh, you know, air quoting quarterback controversy. Um, in the event that Mike White comes out, and has another very, very impressive performance and happens to win on Thursday night, uh, could this completely turn, you know, the Jets' world upside down and put them into a a really, really controversial situation to where you have a first-round, second-overall pick investment for guaranteed money up to, like, $40 million into Zach Wilson, and then you're – you know, on and off practice squad quarterback who's ended up being your number two guy comes out and, and, and starts performing well. Uh, what what do you do? I mean, what a position to be in for Robert Sala, Joe Douglas, and Mike LaFleur. Um, do you think that if Zach is healthy, he should just be handed the keys back and, and, and thrown back into there? Or do we let him learn and develop um, and continue with the progression of the team overall? Um uh, with Mike White, you know, what would you do in, in a scenario like that? Tough question, Dylan. So, um, but you know, I know you're, you're built for it. Yeah, it's definitely a tough one because you have to look at the offensive development and production uh, progression under Mike White and say, Hey, X, Y, and Z, whether they're rookies or vets on the offense look better with Mike White out there so we can get a true evaluation of these players. But at the same time, Zach Wilson's going to be healthy. If he's completely healthy for the Buffalo game, I think you there's a chance that you have to you obviously have to like think about starting him. But unless Mike White has you know a epic meltdown against Indianapolis, I think he's earned the right to play Buffalo. He I know it's one game, and I'm not going to you know get too ahead of myself there, but even if he has a mediocre game against Indy and it's close and they don't get blown out 17 nothing to start the game and he's in it till the last drive or however it goes down, 
I think as long as it's not an epic meltdown from Mike White, which it very well could be. There's now a game of tape on him. Defenses are going to key in on the things he was doing. So there's a chance that he will look like a backup that's never played in the NFL. But if he plays even solid, I think he has the has earned it to go up against Buffalo at home, play the Bills, who are a very hot team with a very, very good defense. But I think he's earned it if he doesn't you know, completely regress on Thursday. Yeah, uh, to be honest with you, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I think this Thursday night game is going to provide us a lot of information about what's going on with this team and what they're capable of. And, um, you know, you brought up some great points about, you know, vets or rookies, whatever the scenario is, who's going out there, um, being able to develop chemistry um, and execute LaFleur's offense is, is absolutely vital. Um, the numbers prior to this game, we've been in the bottom of the basement in the offensive rankings. Uh, you know, we're just, we're not there in the scoring categories. We're not there. Um, in our yards total, you know, uh, for passing or for, for rushing. And, you know, that, that goes a lot back to game planning and, and coaching. And, you know, are, your play, are you getting the best out of all your players? And, you know, are you putting them in the right positions or creating the right plays to be productive? You know, a lot gets shined back onto LaFleur here. So absolutely vital for him to start getting everybody, um, you know, firing at all cylinders with his offense. And, you know, now we're going into week nine. So they've had all of the off-season training camp, preseason games, and now we almost were about halfway there throughout the season. You know, guys need to be in shape at this point. You know, guys should be gelling. You know, maybe the offensive line is finally starting to gel, um, mm-hmm. which makes the George Fan situation so much, you know, more glaring. Yeah. Um, so, you know, even though the Jets did not rush for over 100 yards in this past game, I do feel that they had some some solid runs out there. And you know, Michael Carter did a great job breaking some tackles and keeping his feet moving. Um, you know, and, and you got to build on that. And you know, like you said, if one guy's going out there and everybody's performing, um, you know, at their highest capability, um, I guess that kind of answers your question. So I guess a lot we'll learn a lot about you know who the Jets are come this Thursday. Can they bounce back after a short week and their best performance of the season? Or, you know, are they going to continue to come out with that moxie and that grit? You know, hopefully they haven't gotten too, um, you know, cute with, you know, oh, yeah, we got this all figured out now, and then you go out and you stink against the Colts. And hopefully they still Mm -hmm. have that grit for Thursday to compete and do well. Um, so I, you know, we got about 25 minutes on the clock here. Um, and before we go into the Colts game, cause we have been talking, you know, quite, quite a lot about it already. Um, I want to take some time to talk about the rookie class if we can. Um, you know, we're at the halfway point of the season, like I said, and, you know, I, I sent you something last week and, you know, it's just something to think about here. Um, mm-hmm. for, let's do a quick evaluation on this rookie class. Uh, I'm going to pull up our, our draft picks here. And uh, what Dylan and I are going to do is we're going to claim our best in class and worst in class. And, um, you know, who's made improvements throughout the season thus far? And who do we anticipate showing the most improvement in the second half of the season? So I'll start us off. Um, 
you know, with my, uh, my best in class at the moment. Um, I feel that the best draft pick that the Jets have um, on this roster currently at the moment is Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh, I believe, you know, his um, statistics as far as, you know, PFF ratings and um, his pass blocking and his run blocking has been very, very high. Um, he's, you know, you don't hear his name being called a lot. Cause usually when you hear a lineman's name being called, um, it's normally not a good thing. Uh, so, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, I'm going to put that one in. I think he's the best in class right now. Um, and hopefully when we do a recap at the end of the season, um, maybe some players will emerge. Um, but right now I have Elijah Vera Tucker. Who's your best in class right now, Dylan? Yeah, offensively, the the answer has to be Elijah Vera Tucker. I penciled down AVT and Michael Carter the second, but I think, I mean, after week two, Elijah Vera Tucker is just, I think Glenn said it on the YouTube Jet Nation uh, in yesterday's podcast, which I advise everybody to go check out now that Glenn's doing his morning thing. Um, he said that Elijah Vera Tucker should be in the conversation for Pro Bowl or could very well be in the conversation for Pro Bowl at the end of the year. And I, I'm in, I agree 100% with that. He's been our best offensive lineman, especially since Mekhi Becton's been down. We all can't wait to see the two of them together, what they can really do. But he, he's holding it down at the left guard spot, and it makes Joe Douglas you know, look like a genius for trading up again when everybody said they should hold on to their threes. And I, I can't agree more. It has to be Elijah Vera Tucker and nobody else. Yeah, and, you know, an honorable mention for me here was Michael Carter the second, our uh, nickel corner. Um, he's been playing very, very well. A little scary that he got a little banged up um, in the in the game, but I do believe he was able to come back. Um, yep. you know, he was my number two. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, those cornerback positions, everything's based off of, like, you know, how many sacks does he have or how many tackles for a loss does he have or how many mm-hmm. interceptions, which is, seems to be the most important um, for the Jets. And we know that the Jets – only have one interception on the defense, which is Shaq Lawson. So, you know, he didn't get best in class, but I want to give him honorable mention. Um, I also think Brandon Nichols being a, I believe he was what, a sixth round pick, Dylan? Yes, sixth round, yep. So to have a starter coming from the sixth round and holding his own, uh, you definitely have to give some credit there. Um, Very good pick Mm -hmm. by Joe Douglas. Uh, Really, really excited. Um, and hopefully he continues to do, um, you know, good things because if, if Joe Douglas ends up having two quality starting corners, one in the fifth round from Bryce Hall and one in the sixth round from Brandon Eccles, it, it doesn't get any better than that um, because you nope. have these guys on rookie deals. You're paying pennies to the dollar as far as, you know, the top quarterback money is concerned in the NFL. And, uh, you know, clearly – in a few years, they're going to warrant, you know, uh, those, those premium contracts. But for the moment, um, that's how you build a team. Um, that's how you build a defense. Um, you know, and then to mention some of the other players on this list here, um, you know, Jason Pinnock, haven't seen head or hair. Uh, Jamie and Sherwood, we know, unfortunately, he's out for the season. Um, Hampton mm-hmm. up Dean, I was having big expectations for him. He's also on the IR. Um, and haven't really seen much from Jonathan Marshall, one of the defensive tackles that they drafted as well. Um, but, you know, Elijah Moore, um, this was a better game for him. He's coming along. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he needs to get an uptick in targets because, you know, I know 
he was one of your favorite guys in the draft class. You know, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, he continues to get, get more opportunities down the line. Uh, but now this is a tough one here. Um, so who do you feel – I'm going to give mine first and then you can go. Worst in class for me at this point, um, you know, and, and this can change. Um, Zach Wilson is, uh, to me, the worst in class at this point. Um, and it's hard to say that. It's um, not easy for him. He came to a team – uh, you know, one, you know, that was uh, the second to worst team in the NFL. So to expect him to do all sorts of crazy things, um, definitely not reasonable, but he has struggled. His offensive line has not done him justice. Um, you know, he hasn't had the greatest scenario with guys being healthy um, and, and the play calling has been a little up and down, but you look at the performance, you look at the, you know, our record, and um, as of right now, a lot of room for improvement is needed from the Zach Wilson, uh, you know, camp. And uh, I have high expectations that he's going to bounce back and he's going to figure this out. And, um, you know, someone hopefully will call me out and say, remember the time that you said Zach Wilson was the worst in class in week nine? And I'll say, yes, I was wrong. And I'm happy I'm wrong because that's the way it should be. Um, so hopefully this situation with Mike White um, – puts a little fuel on the fire for him and, and he can bounce back. So who do you have as worst in class, Dylan? Yeah, unfortunately I have to agree. I, I think it's kind of low hanging fruit because it's not his fault that he gets thrown into a situation with a team coming off a two and 14 season and firing quite possibly the worst coach in NFL history. So, you know, you can't really fault him for the situation he's been thrown into, but Zach Wilson has looked like the worst rookie and I think coming into the season, all fans had, you know, moderate to lower than average expectations for the team overall, as long as Zach Wilson looked the part. And unfortunately for most, most of the season, uh, we didn't really get a full chance to see him go against New England a second time, which would have been nice to see how he fared against the same defense a second time. But for the most part this season, he just un- unfortunately hasn't looked the part. He's had interceptions in every game he played in, not counting New England, of course. And he has zero touchdowns in three of those five games. So it's not really great from a production standpoint. His completion percentage could be a little bit better. It's in the the high 50s. And that, again, comes from the the high-risk, high-reward plays that we've talked about. And I think this, uh, this injury, while it's not, you know, the greatest thing to ever happen to a young player like we saw with Sam Darnold it could end up being you know a positive thing I went back and I saw Sam Darnold's stats back in 2018 uh, after his injury so he had four games after his injury he completed 64 percent of his passes which was up 11 percent from the nine games before his injury he had 931 yards passing six touchdowns, and one interception over four games, Sam Darnold. So I think when you look at that and you look at the fact that he was able to take time away, step back, watch another quarterback run his offense, really, you know, digest it fully, I think that's what we'll see from Zach Wilson. I'm not going to go out and say he's going to be lights out, but I think the injury, while it's unfortunate and it it never helps, it, it can be a stepping stone for him to not finish the year as worst in class as rookie because neither of us want to put him here. It's just unfortunate that 
this is what's been there and we have to judge off what's been shown so far. And this is, this is what we get. And he has the, all the tools, all the tools, especially with John Beck to turn it around and have a productive end of season against some pretty light teams, Miami twice, Houston, Philly, Jacksonville. So the sky's the limit for this kid. And I'm not, I hope we don't put him as worst in class again. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we call it, we call it at, like we see it on this show here. Um, we understand some of these takes are, will not be ingested well by some of the fans, especially the ones that are high on Zach Wilson. Um, it's still early in his career. Uh, it, it should have been expected that he was going to have some bumps and lumps on the road. Um, he's had plenty, unfortunately, some physical ones too have put him on the bench. So, you know, hopefully all of this is just part of the learning process and, and he can come back and, and show everything that he did in his final year in BYU because that's the guy that we drafted. That's the guy that we're anticipating and and hope to see, you know, every Sunday for this team. So, uh, Zach, hang in there. Um, it, if it was an easy game, everybody would do it. It's not. Um, so we do understand that, and we still have high expectations for you. So last of this uh, rookie recap before we get into our uh, thoughts and, and predictions into the Colts game um, – we're going, to, we're going to both give a player that we feel um, will impress the most in the second of this season. Um, I think we just saw a, a glimpse this weekend of the greatness that is within this player. And my guy that I think is going to continue to um, help this offense, uh, you know, make, make big plays and, and make crucial plays and, and end up being a playmaker for us, that is Michael Carter, our running back. Uh, the way he broke through tackles this weekend really, really showed that fire that you need. You know, that's why, you know, these running backs kind of, they get chewed up and spit out and, and, and there's so much change and turnover with them because it's really a young man's game and you can see the explosiveness, the the way he fights for extra yards. Um, I believe he earned one of the angry run segments on Good Morning Football, which really, really got me fired up. Um, you know, he, he kind of split two defenders. Um, he, he was going down, planted his arm, stayed up on his feet, and then continued to go for a few more yards. Those are the plays that I want to continue to see from Michael Carter down the stretch. I hope LaFleur continues to find ways to get him, you know, in the passing game as well, because clearly he can be effective um, there's, you know, as well. So, yeah, Michael Carter is my guy uh, moving down the stretch um, to impress the most out of this rookie class. The way you set all of that up, you had me digging back into my draft notes looking where I had Elijah Moore because that's who I thought you were going to say. So I'm glad you went with Michael Carter <laughs> because my choice nice. is Elijah Moore. He was my draft crush at wide receiver, really at all positions outside of Justin Fields. And I couldn't be happier that we have him. I think you saw a glimpse of what he's able to do this week. He had six targets, caught all six for 67 yards. He also had a little end around that only gained four yards towards the end of the, towards the end of the game. But he did all that on 30 snaps, which is only 30, 36% of the total game snaps from Sunday. Uh, he has 15 catches for 146 yards and only one touchdown on the ground which is unfortunate, but I think moving forward these next eight or nine games, you're really going to see 
him emerge. He's been probably the best separator on in terms of our wide receivers. I know Jameson Crowder's like his specialty is separating, but before Jameson Crowder came back into the fold, Elijah Moore was already separating from defenders. I, I'll go back to it. I highlighted a play in week one against J.C. Horn, and he left J.C. Horn in the dust, and Zach Wilson just missed him. But that, that's the stuff you're going to see from Elijah Moore moving forward. So it was kind of an easy choice because just how much I like him in the in the pre-draft process. But Elijah Moore is my guy to break out and really impress us in the second half. Yeah, th- that was tough for me. Um, I, I had a feeling you were going to go that route. Um, Elijah Moore was one of the guys that, that I was thinking, you know, that that's going to surprise. And, hey, between the two of them, that's quite all right with me. I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and looking at the – giving one last look at the box scores here, one play that, like, really stood out to me that was so unfortunate that got that, that got pulled back due to, I believe, it might have been a holding penalty um, on on Elijah Moore. Now that now it's come to me up um, mm-hmm. with that Denzel Mims play that they had scripted. I kind of – I really don't feel like he was holding um, – it was slight. It was such a. It was so slight. It was slight, very yep. slight. It was so slight. Like if you look at the offensive linemen, everybody holds, you know, more yep. or less when they when they grab inside the shoulder guards. And I just kind of feel like he had he had a really good block, and apparently it was too good in the eyes of the ref. And you know, clearly the refs don't know the narrative with Denzel Mims. Um, it was interesting <laughs> to see that he was right there in the first series because fans have been clamoring to see more Mims and. He gets this great scripted play to where he can get in space, and everybody's out in front to block for him, and and then it gets pulled back, and didn't really see yep. too much of him after that. So that was a little bizarre, but you know maybe that was Lafleur trying to hush up, um, you know some of the people that have been, uh, yeah, you know pounding the table to see more Mims, but you know uh, Joe Douglas I, I went back today and... that he's been a pro. Yeah, go for it. I was gonna say sorry. I was. I looked back at the uh, the snap counts, and I was surprised. Denzel Mims played the most snaps out of all the wide receivers. So I'm going to have to go back and see why he wasn't targeted more than three times. But he played 59 snaps, which is 70%, which is a little less than what Corey Davis normally plays in his normal role. So it's nice to see that they had him out there. But, yeah, no, Mike White did not target him. Maybe the, the drop in the end zone might have had something to do with it, but – I don't know, it just it seemed like he was not out there, but when you look at the numbers of stats and snap counts, he was out there. So it's unfortunate to see because when that play happened, I was really excited, like, oh, we're going to have a Mims day here. Yeah, I, I actually really thought, I was like, great, let's get the young guy rolling early, let's get him incorporated, yep. you know, let, let's get after this team. And, yeah, actually, you know, I didn't realize he had that many snaps, so uh, – you know, he's trending in the right direction. This is the start, mm-hmm. um, and hopefully he continues to see um, those those same kind of snap counts. Um, because, you know, like I said uh, a few weeks ago, um, you know, watching Braxton Berrios get the majority of these snaps, and there was a play where they, they set up a tight end screen, and Braxton Berrios was the lead blocker for our tight end. Oh, and I was like, what in the world is that? I mean, you, you literally took the smallest guy, out of our wide receiver group to block for a tight end. I kind of feel like they, they should have reversed roles there. Um, and if you're telling me, you know, 
that Berrios can block better than Mims, you're an absolute liar because I've watched enough Denzel Mims tape in Baylor, and I know from his interviews oh, one yeah. of the things that he prides himself on as a wide receiver is his blocking ability. So even if you can't utilize Denzel Mims in the passing game for every passing play, you can certainly utilize him for when you're running the ball um, because that he does very, very well. That's our Denzel Mims uh, little segment for the week. I, I feel like, you know, because of that, his situation, he always gets a little bit of air time. Uh, but we got about – we're under 10 minutes here, so let's do a little quick fire here for the Colts. They're coming up early this Thursday. I have a couple key points written here on how we're going to beat the Colts. Um, number one is John Taylor. John Taylor is one of the best running backs in the league. Um, he might end up being – top two, top three now that uh, the unfortunate news to Derrick Henry being done for the season. Uh, but, yeah, I think that they're going to have to do what they did with uh, Joe Mixon, and they're going – this defensive line and, and the running game, uh, our run defense is going to be a key factor. John Taylor has been running hot over the last few weeks. Um, he just continues to get better and better, showing those things that he did when he was in Wisconsin – I think he ran for like 6,000 yards or something crazy like that. And some people thought that was too many and he wouldn't have enough juice for the NFL um, to be like, he's perfectly fine. And, um, you know, over the last few weeks, um, you know, I'm looking at some of his game logs here. He's got three 100 yard games. He scored a touchdown um, in every game since week four. So absolutely stop. John Taylor is, is one of the key factors. I think, you need to take away Michael Pittman. You know, that that's where Brandon Nichols and Bryce Hall is going to be very important for our defense, making sure that one of their best options and one of their biggest receivers, Michael Pittman, um, you know, get shut down. And then lastly, smother Carson Wentz. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Um, I was watching a little bit of that game because um, it was one of the better games this past Sunday uh, was the Colts and the Titans. They went to overtime. And, you know, when I queued in and started watching the game, I, I saw this play where, uh, you know, the Colts had the opportunity to go back out and get the um, get tie, try to tie up the game with the Tennessee uh, Titans. And he ends up almost getting a safety and then throws the ball lefty. He's a right-handed thrower. He throws the ball lefty to try to just get rid of it and get an incompletion and it goes right mm-hmm. to the Tennessee Titans defender inside the five-yard line for an easy walk-in touchdown. So those are the types of things that Carson Wentz is capable of. He's very talented, but if you put pressure on him, he will make mistakes. So those are my three key points. Shut down John Taylor, smother Carson Wentz, and, and make Michael Pittman non-existent. I think those are going to be three key factors to the Jets winning this weekend. How do you feel about the game, Dylan? Yeah, so John Taylor was the first thing I wrote down on my notepad, and I underlined it. I said, contain John Taylor. But I also think on the flip side, on their defense, they have to contain DeForest Buckner. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. This is going to be a true test for Connor McGovern and Greg Van Roten. I think they're going to have to be on their A game to protect Mike White. I think DeForest Buckner – I haven't. I don't know his stats off the top of my head, but I'm sure he's performing like the All-Pro Pro Bowl player that he was in San Francisco. 
and they have a little bit of an edge presence with uh, Pay and uh, I'm going to butcher his name. His last name is Torre. So they have some edge presence to go along with DeForest Buckner. So he was my number one on the stop list, as well as Jonathan Taylor. And then I had that the D-line needs to win. It's a strength on a strength. The Colts offensive line has for years been considered one of the best offensive lines in football. So I think our defensive line is really going to have to put up or shut up in order to win this game. That comes along again with containing John Taylor, but also getting after Carson Wentz, like you said. So number two, I said the focus had to be on the D-line. And then three, my my matchup of the day is uh, the running backs, Michael Carter and Ty Johnson versus the Colts linebackers, Darius Leonard and Bobby Okereke. They're both young, fast linebackers that are quick to the ball. They don't really let you get a lot of yak. And after the game script the Jets had last week, that's kind of what they were banking on to begin with. So, you know, it's not going to be Jermaine Pratt and Akeem Davis-Gaither out there. We're going to have, you know, some real studs at linebacker coming to eliminate that short game. So we might have to see a little bit more, you know, wide receiver heavy looks in the past game, but it's the, the focus is going to be on the running backs versus the, the linebackers to me. And and then, like you said, limit Michael Pittman. He's been a dog. They don't have uh, T.Y. Hilton, but Michael Pittman is still a problem. And I, I think realistically the Jets will have a chance. Um, I haven't written a prediction down just yet, so off the top of my head, I'm just going to say – 23 to 20 in a really close game. I think the Colts are going to just sneak it out, but I think it's going to be, it's going to come down to a last second field goal to put them over the edge. I don't think it's going to be a a 17, nothing. All right. We're starting the second quarter, 17, nothing and don't have the ball type of game. So those are my key points in the prediction. I know you have a prediction, so you can go share that. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, and another player I think that um, might be giving us some fits that the Jets need to be worried about um, from the tight. I mean, um, sorry. Um, cool. Oh, sorry, I just had a brain fart there. Um, I was going to mention Bud Dupree. He, he's on the Titans. Jeez, that was a brain oh, fart. Okay. I thought he was on the, uh, the Colts for a second there. Mm-hmm. Um, just went to go fact check myself, and um, turns out I was wrong. So, yeah, Jets don't need to worry about him. That's good news. Anywho, um, going back to my prediction, uh, so what did I write down here? I kind of feel that the Jets um, are going to fall a little bit short in this one. Um, this past weekend was a lot of fun, but, uh, you know, at this point, I think that this defense is going to be significantly tougher, um, you know, than the, than the Jets uh, have gone up against in the last couple weeks. Um, and, and, of course, John Taylor is uh, quite – a specimen, so you know that that's going to be a little bit hard to contain him. Uh, but I do see the Jets having a closer matchup, and it's coming down to about a 27 to 20 loss is what I can foresee here. Um, the only way that the Jets are going to find themselves, you know, in a winning scenario here is to kind of follow the same template that they had against Cincinnati: come out hot, come out aggressive, get points on the board early, and and put. Uh, yep. the Colts' backs against the wall. You know, put them in a situation to where they have to leave their game script and they have to, you know, try to come up with a new game plan on the fly. Um, if you can find a way to do that, and again, you know, this game can be won if you win the turnover battle. If the Jets can find a way 
to turn the ball over for their favor and win field position. Obviously, those are all key pieces to, to winning. And that's what I'm kind of hoping for. I'm hoping that the Jets will, will pleasantly surprise us again. Um, you know, with this offensive line situation with George Fant, not really too sure, to be honest with you. Um, that You know, hopefully we get some good news before Thursday and George is, is healthy and able to go. But I am a little bit concerned with the, with the way that this offensive line's health is right now. Um, and, you know, clearly we've seen what can happen um, you know, when the offensive line is not playing at their best. So uh, that's going to be a really, really, really key factor for me is, is how the Jets can, can maintain that defense and if they can continue to be as effective as they were this previous week against the Bengals, against the Colts offensively. Um, you know, we have not seen the offense fire out like that all year, and that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that they continue to do that. So before we sign off here, I um, just want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Mile Social. Um, if you are a company that's trying to improve your social media presence and platform, go to milesocial.com. Um, reach out to them today and, and find out what they can do to improve your business on the social media level. You can find them at M-I-L-E-S-O-C-I-A-L.com, milesocial.com. All right, Dylan. Um, that certainly went fast. Um, that was a lot of fun. Um, I enjoyed, uh, you know, doing the, the rookie segment and breaking it down. Um, I really hope that next week, uh, you know, we'll be uh, looking at a 2-0 two, two and o, or a two games in a row winning streak. Um, that would be nice. Uh, but, you know, I'll keep my expectations moderate as, as I've tried to do all year. Uh, but, yeah, that would be really something if we could be talking about another win next week. Um, any uh, last thoughts oh, yeah. or anything you want to uh, put out there before we uh, sign off here? Nope. Here's to hopefully being three and five and getting everybody back healthy. I mean, it's a short week, which is unfortunate because we don't get a lot of them, so we have to take advantage of our primetime games. But coming off a win, you just yeah. want to stack it, and let's see how it goes from there. That's it. Back those wins, keep getting W's, and um, hopefully Seattle continues to lose to better our draft situation for next year, too. Oh, that's, yeah. that's the other fun thing that we can do is root against Seattle. So uh, that's it for us here at JetNation.com. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Don't forget to go to the forums at JetNation.com. Um, you know, if you aren't aware, we do have an app. You can download that. You'll get access to our YouTube channel, uh, all our podcasts, the the uh, editorials that are being put out by Dylan and Glenn, which is some great stuff too, and obviously the nonstop conversation in the forum. So don't forget to go, go to JetNation.com. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful week. And as usual, let's go Jets. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at JetNationRadio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!